0: Hello and welcome to the Oz Investing Podcast, the podcast for the everyday investor. Just a quick note before we begin today's podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be considered as personal financial advice. If you're ever in doubt about your financial situation, please reach out to a qualified financial advisor. With all that said and done, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Oz Investing Podcast. My name is Sam, and with me, as always, is my buddy Jude. How are you, Jude? Doing well, mate? How are you? I'm really well, thanks. I'm extremely excited today because we have another guest on. I'm very excited to welcome Anna Christina to the podcast. Anna, how are you today?
1: Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: Fantastic, Anna. Anna, although you require no introductions, I'm 100% confident that majority of our listeners, you know, tune into your podcast. You co-host the Get Rich Slow Club ETFs for Beginners. Or you even read some of those insightful articles as part of the Perla newsletters. But it's a bit of a ritual here that we, you know, before we get into the podcast, we ask our guests to give our listeners a bit of an introduction and an interesting fact they would like to share about themselves.
1: Yeah, great. I'm a financial educator, I'm an author, speaker, and I'm a product manager, as you mentioned, at Perler. So I work in fintech. And, you know, I'm really passionate about financial literacy and fire, which is kind of where I started out blogging. And then because I have a background in tech, I kind of am very lucky that my career has gotten me to a place where my passion and my career have merged. Also, I also identify as a social justice advocate. And I'm a parent, which is kind of aligns with my new book, which is called Kids Ain't Cheap. And That's kind of a little bit about me. And if you want a fun fact for listeners, I also have motorcycled through the states multiple times on various trips while also camping. So I'm an adventurer at heart as well.
0: Oh, that's amazing, Anna. (laughs) And maybe just to extend on that a little bit, from what parts of America did you motorcycle across, like through the middle or down on either the East
1: Coast or West Coast? Yeah, the the West Coast mainly. So I'm originally from Vancouver. I'm a Canadian living in Australia now for almost 10 years. Yeah. But the West Coast is absolutely gorgeous if you go through Oregon and that whole coastal line down to California and whatnot. And I definitely believe that anyone, everyone should do that drive if they can. Riding is always better in my opinion, but... <laughs> It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, so so mainly that area and, and have gone out to to Utah and, and whatnot as well, which is absolutely gorgeous. So mostly mostly the West Side.
0: Amazing. Amazing. That's fantastic, Anna. And just for some background as well, Anna, I met you at the Trelagan Fire Meetup. So this is in regional Victoria. And I was very impressed by the answers that you provided, particularly around family financial matters. I found that you had really great insight into the financial implications of having children so that's what we're going to be discussing today mainly in this podcast and to just give the podcast a little bit of structure we're just going to break things down into the pregnancy slash infancy stage the primary school stage and then the high school and secondary school stage. We can then also discuss a little bit about what parents can do to teach their kids about money and investing and also how parents can take practical steps in investing for their children as well. So beginning from that pregnancy-infancy stage, and this is actually a burning question that my partner and I have been meaning to try to find out more about, so really keen to hear your insights on this. But for a family that's looking to start to, to have children, how do they navigate between the public and private sector for their pregnancy?
1: Yeah, this is a great question and one that a lot of people struggle with in the beginning beginning stages of their parenting journey. But I'm actually mm. going to take it a couple steps back before we even get there. I think it's really crucial for anyone who's even considering parenthood to to just get their financial planning in order. So before we even talk about that, I think it's really important, if, especially if you're single, to kind of think about your finances and how you envision your parenthood life when it comes to finances, but if you're coupled, it's so important to make sure that you have an emergency fund, that you have a really good grasp of your debt, and if it's Mm -hmm. consumer debt to pay that down, and also think about how to plan for parental leave because those are really important things that you kind of have to think about before pregnancy because if you're pregnant or if you're looking to adopt, it's almost a little bit too late. So looking at that ahead of time is really important. And I would also say thinking about estate planning, wills, if you're going to do a prenup, insurance, healthcare, getting all of that in order. Because once a kid comes in, into the picture. It's just too hard to manage all that stuff. And for most people, it is one of the biggest transitions in their life to become a parent. So planning financially will just relieve a lot of that stress because 76% of parents believe it's the biggest identity shift. And it really is because you start thinking about life differently. So if you can plan ahead of time, that's really, really important. And even before you're thinking about private and public sector, a lot of couples or single parents need to consider fertility treatment. One in 20 babies are actually born with the assistance of IVF and that is a massive cost. One cycle of IVF is actually around $10,000 and the out-of-pocket costs is around $5,000 or so. So just those are all of the things you need to consider before you even get to the private or public question when it comes to hospitals and so forth. So if you've got that all underhand, the interesting thing about private and public when it comes to hospitals is 75% of women opt for public.
2: Mm. And
1: the estimate around how much that costs is around $1,500 out of pocket. So it's much Actually, cheaper than if you do private. Private hospitals, the out-of-pocket cost is much higher. It's somewhere between twenty-five hundred to twenty thousand, depending on the fees and specialists and what your health fund covers. So it's really important if you are planning for pregnancy or even fertility to make sure that you check your health plan and what you have and what that includes, because in a lot of cases you need. 12 months to be able to actually tap into any of those savings when it comes to your healthcare provider. So that is a really important first step that I would suggest that anyone who's looking to bring a child into the world to consider ahead of time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's awesome insights there, Anna. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess another kind of tip that I've heard from people is to also look at the potential hospital that Mm -hmm. uh, you would consider for the child uh, for the pregnancy so I guess understanding where you live and which potential hospital you would go into and then you know I guess having a look at those hospitals whether they're private or public and whether or not they're I guess suitable for your needs and what you're looking for in terms of you know those facilities and everything for a child I think that's probably important as well anything to add in regards to that as well Anna?
1: Yeah, everyone has their own private situation. And so for some people who might have more medical needs or concerns or worries as well, they might opt for a more of a private hospital experience due to them being able to have better choices because going through the public system you Mm. may have less choices so that is important for parents to be able to be empowered and choose what is right for them what's right for me might be not right for you and vice versa Mm, mm, so mm, that's really important for myself I went through the public system I was really happy with it it Mm. was quite straightforward streamlined did some birthing classes which again cost out of pocket but (laughs) it and it allowed me to feel empowered about what was happening. So even though I didn't know the midwives or the doctors, because I had someone new going in, I was I was completely prepared and happy with that and was happy with both my experiences, but that might not be the case for someone else who has more complications and who maybe want a doula or someone that they trust with them along the whole way. And that's and that's just an additional cost, but it is really important because it is a huge part of the pregnancy experience giving birth and you want to make sure that you feel as comfortable as you can in that situation. So again, it, it it's every individual will need different needs
2: yeah, no, that's that's perfect, and I think uh, in terms of you know, it's great insights that you you know given us in terms of what it is, and just tying back to that question to which you mentioned when it comes to you know the the emergency fund because there's a lot of planning as you said at this stage where you know you're going in through the the pregnancy phase, you're doing a lot of planning. So just tying back to your initial insight when it comes to the planning aspects when you talk about the emergency fund, is that separate like a baby fund or is it like part of an entire emergency fund that you plan up for?
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I think in a lot of cases when people are expecting a child or planning for a child, they they think about the expenses that come with having a baby. And in that first year, it's actually not that expensive or relatively, I should say. It's around, you know, $5,000 to $10,000 in that first year. I mean, it's not peanuts, but it's Mm -hmm. not as expensive as children can be because children get more expensive as they get older. So that's, that's a reality. And in fact, in there's older data here in Australia, unfortunately, nothing. The latest data we have is like 2013. They said that a typical middle income family, the cost of raising a child to 18 is $812,000. And (laughs) What, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. And, and this is old older data, right? And yeah. Suncorp said that the cost of raising a child is has increased by 10% in 2021. I mean, mind you, it's probably more than now. So if that's the case, if it's around $893,000 to raise two children to the age of 18, that means that it's close to $450 for one kid to raise to wow. 18 years. Wow. That's a lot of money. And yep. Yes, the first years can be expensive, but one of the things that we also forget to plan about, for example, is parental leave. Often mm. a parent or a single parent or both parents choose to take time out of the workforce, and there's a huge implication when it comes to that right if you are increasing in expenses you're also probably decreasing in your income and that is the biggest shift that probably happens in your whole life when when else in your life does that happen right like you're in expenses and a decrease in income and so you need to plan ahead of time and then when you talk about the emergency fund Often people say hold three to six months uh, in an emergency fund. But if you're planning to take parental leave, there's going to be an additional consideration. Are you taking a year off? Are both parents taking leave? Is one parent taking leave? Are you single? What do you need to put in place for you to feel comfortable around that time? And then planning for if you're getting any uh, government subsidies when it comes to that, the paid parental leave. Is your company paying any of that? Will you have super? The other thing is often if you're going on leave, um, super isn't getting paid. And mm. and we see that as well in terms of the gender pay gap. You see that in the super gender pay gap as well, where women are retiring with significantly less in in respects to, to men. And that is often because someone's taking leave caring for children and they're not being compensated for that. And so those are all things that need to be considered ahead of time as well.
2: Uh, that's that's fantastic. And especially those numbers which you sh- shared with us, I mean to say they're, they're staggering. If like if you've not thought it through, then I think that's the best time to like start planning in advance because it doesn't get easy when it comes to you know, obviously managing the expenses that come out come about with you know having children. So that's that's fantastic in terms of the stats that you've shared with us, Anna. And you know, moving a bit further down the track as well, right? When it comes to, you know, securing a good childcare center. Mm -hmm. What are some of those tips and tricks that you would recommend?
1: So for a lot of parents, they are absolutely surprised by the cost of early childhood education and care. It is one of the biggest costs within the first five years of a child's life, and it can be quite impactful. In fact, in Australia, it's one of the most expensive countries for early child care education and care, with households paying around 31% of their combined income towards it. And the world average is around 14%. So it is quite expensive. Wow. And and the thing is, it's there's a lot of complications when it comes to child care, and I, I like to use the terminology early childhood education and care because it's not just care, it is education, and I feel as though it needs to be stated as such. Mm-hmm. So there's very different kind of needs that might depend on your family. There might be long day care or occasional care. You might want an au pair or a family center. All of these are very different. The important thing to see is to make sure that you can you are able to receive the the child care subsidy. And that subsidy does help with the cost of, of child care, right, of early education and care. But it is still, it's still very expensive. In Australia, it's somewhere between 100 to over $200 a day to send your child, and you might be subsidized somewhere between, you know, 0% to 90% of that subsidy, depending on where you fall in terms of the income for the year. There are different centers that you might need to consider. There are public and not-for-profit centers, and they, I mean, they function in the same way, but when it comes to the not-for-profit centers, they usually have a better rating, and these are all things that you can kind of look up, and surprise, surprise, right, because private centers are looking to make a profit and therefore they're focused on that. Whereas a lot of the not-for-profit centers are run by parents or or people who are carers and therefore more focus is emphasized on the quality of care that children get. So it is really important if you're looking into that to go visit a bunch of different centers, see what works well for you and your child, run the numbers to see how much of a subsidy you can get because it gets quite expensive and the subsidy is very, very confusing. I kind of talk about this in my book, so I won't go into detail about it, but it is quite confusing in terms of understanding how much of a subsidy you get, because there are things in terms of an activity test. So if you're working or or how many hours you get allocated, it depends on how many hours the center is open for. So there's a lot of complications around it, but just being as prepared as possible, that's it's it's really important. <laughs>
0: Thanks Anna. Thanks Anna. I think that's wonderful insight and a lot to unpack there. I guess what I've heard as well is that it's notoriously hard to secure a spot in a childcare center, particularly if they're reputable, particularly if they're known to provide good care and waiting list being two to three years and some people saying, you know, you've got to be on the wait list even before the child's born. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some ways to kind of navigate around that? Like, is it best for people to just, you know, have at least three or four options? How do they ensure that they get the best care for their child?
1: Yeah, this is a very hard question because this sector has seen a high rate of turnover and burnout from the mm. educators. And so many people who do want to, to access a center cannot because they're just too little educators and there's not enough in terms of ratio for kids and educators. So it is a real huge national problem. And in fact, educators are like some of the lowest paid workers for their education and skill level. Mm. So it it is a systematic kind of issue that we have. So If you are looking at different centers, it is really important to, like you said, put your name down on the list before your child is born. Look around, do tours, Mm. have an idea of what you're looking for. If you only get one day at the center that you want, but you get all the days at a center you're less keen about, take the one day. It's really important. This is something that Mm. I did. I was only able to get one day and had to put my kid in a different place, but eventually got into the center that I wanted. Doing what you can to get into a center is Mm -hmm. (laughs) is really important. But it is very hard. And one of the things I would do is lobby your local government to help and support these workers, because the more workers you have, the more educators you have, the more options parents will have within this space as well. There are some amazing organizations called, uh, for example, the Parenthood or Strive by Five. These are organizations that actually try to lobby the government to make some of these better changes for parents in terms of also parental leave, better pay for educators and so forth, because all of it is interwoven. If you don't have a proper system to put your kids in, like a center to help support your kids, you can't return to work. If you can't return to work, you're not helping the economy. So all of these are very interwoven into each other. And as a parent, you can feel very overwhelmed about it. But the best things you can do is go check out the centers, get your name on the list, have backup plans, go look look around, even if it's a bit further for you to drive, if it's the right fit for your child, It's, it's really important to do that.
0: Fantastic. Awesome tips there, Anna. And I can definitely see you're also very passionate about the more complex side of things as well, trying to get parents back into work and and also, you know, ensuring that we have everyone that has great care for their kids, but also, you know, trying to also ensure that both mom and dad to work and help the economy as well. So that's fantastic. So I guess changing gears a little bit now, so as the child gets a bit older and they're starting primary school, what are some new expenses that families can expect at that stage?
1: Yeah, the primary school time is also interesting because for a lot of parents, it feels like, oh my gosh, they are out of their early childhood education and care time, which was very expensive. Mm. So now it should be a little bit more manageable, which is is really fantastic. In 2023, the average cost of a 13-year public education is around $84,000, whereas it's $173,000 for Catholic schools and a whopping $288 if you send your child to an independent school so just because your child goes to school doesn't mean that those costs aren't still there there's the cost of tuition uniforms excursions books sporting events and transportation and all of these really do add up they get quite expensive and you know 47 percent of parents were not aware of all these costs when they enrolled their kid to school especially in the public school system where you think it's Cheap or free, you know, yeah. in a lot so, of ways. So
0: maybe just to pause on that point. Mm-hmm. there So we're talking about the primary school age at the moment. You mentioned those numbers before. Those are in- incredible figures for for sending child to a private institution. Do you believe at that early stage that that money is getting well utilized, sending a child that early to, to the primary school at that point in time? Like I can kind of see for secondary school, for high school, the investment may be worth it because children are growing at, at a very, you know, fast rate at that particular point in time. But in that very kind of early age between, you know, five and 10, do you believe it's it's, it's worth the investment?
1: Yeah, great question. And just just to clarify, the stats I named were for 13 years of education, not just the primary school. So just, just to clarify on that. But to Mm. answer your question, it really depends on what you value as a parent, right? Like what I may value may be different to what you value. And in a lot Mm. of cases, what I've heard from parents who have sent their kids to private schools or independent schools is Mm -hmm. that the connections that they make have really set them up for the future. So it, it, And and that might be very important and valuable to you as a parent, whereas for someone else, it might be, you know, wanting to go to a public school. And it depends where you live, because there is a difference in the type of education, unfortunately, sometimes that you get depending on what suburb you're living in, what area. Uh, One of the things, so if if you're asking me private, like, what do I personally think? One of the things that my partner and I decided was we wanted to move to an area where we knew the public systems were really good like the public schools and so Mm. it was our choice to move and find a school that would support our children because we wanted to put them through public school due to the costs and so forth and and so that was a choice that we made. But but that might not be a choice for everyone else. And some public schools may not be, you know, great in certain areas. And therefore, they other parents need to opt for other schools. And that's just a cost that they're going to have to take. But really, it comes down to what your values are as a parent and where you think your child mm. is going to strive. And sometimes your kids might have special needs. And therefore... Mm the public school system might not be able to support that and you are going to have to pay more money. And again, you know, this is where that emergency fund and buffer and considering that ahead of time because you might not know that until yep. they're older where your kid might need special special needs and therefore you're going to have to put that money towards that as well. And I've had friends who had to choose that. They had to choose the the private schools because their kids strived better in that school than in the public system, unfortunately. Got it. I don't
2: know. That's really interesting Some interesting stats that you mentioned there, Anna, because we need to factor in, you know, all those different costs when you're really planning in and to see, you know, have a future outcome in terms of exactly what you're planning to spend. But just coming back to those costs that you mentioned when, you know, that 13 year period, we also have, you know, parents having this expectation sometimes of children to, you know, join a number of Mm -hmm. activities, right, to find their find their calling, so to speak, you know, it could be something maybe in music, it could be something in sports, you know, any of those lessons. So how does a family really budget for those extracurricular activities as well? Because from what you've given us some stats and numbers, it seems to be pretty, uh, you know, pretty expensive in terms of what those numbers look like. So when you factor in those extracurricular activities, how do they budget that in?
1: Yeah. So nationwide, parents fork out $3.8 billion on extracurricular activities, and a 2020 study found that parents pay around $1,800 a year on average for their kids' extracurricular activities. Now, it's again, it comes down to value. Do you think it's really important for your child to take music lessons? Do they, does it build confidence for them? Does it make them happy? Do they love soccer and therefore you want to empower them? Do you think swimming's really important and it's a life skill that they need? It comes down to value as a parent, right? You can choose to put your kids in four activities and every day they're going somewhere or you can choose one. It really comes down To value. And what you might value might be different to what I value. So it is, it is hard. But this is why, unfortunately, the data shows that kids get more expensive as they get older. And that's the reality, because kids have interests. They want to do the things. It helps build confidence. It helps build skills. And we as parents need to manage our money in deciding what's best. Do you do it all or do you do it some? Do you do it when they're younger so that they build those skills or do you wait until they're older? These are all compromises that we need to choose as parents. And like, for example, from my personal experience, me and my partner were like, listen, our, our older child's four a lot of their friends, you know, go to dance, go to swimming, go to all these different sports. And we've just chosen that that's just not what a four-year-old needs right now. So what we do is we opt for more time together. We do a lot of bushwalks. We, you know, we go to the beach. We go swimming. We we do these things together because that's what we value. But that might be different for other parents. And that's totally okay. That's that's the thing with personal finance. It's personal and your values are personal. So mm. it is uh, it is a big cost for a lot of parents, and as kids get older, the thing is, if you start out, for example, in gymnastics, and now you're, you've been doing it for five years, it costs more as well to be in a higher level often when it comes to these sporting activities as well. So yep. in the beginning, it might have been cheaper, but now… You're more advanced, and the skill set is more advanced. The support is more advanced, and therefore it costs more as well. Just things to—it's a—it's a lot to think about, right? Like as a parent, what do you want to budget? Yeah, for
0: sure, for sure. And I can relate a little bit as well with personal examples. So I did piano lessons for a long time as a child. And as I got better and better and I did the higher and higher levels, yes, the lessons were more expensive. The books were more expensive. So you're exactly right. Everything starts climbing up as they reach those more advanced levels and, and higher tiers as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And it, it is interesting looking back because, for example, my mom wanted me to do ballet and put me in ballet and she put me in piano and I did I did those things. But you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to run track and play soccer. Like, oh, I wanted to right. run track, you know? like And track isn't as expensive as getting musical instruments and so forth. You, 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 <laughs> you put on shoes and you run. But it was also just sometimes parents my mom wanted me to be a girly girl and I was a tomboy you know like (laughs) again it comes down to that dynamic between parents and kids and what you value and what your kid values and and finding that in between it's hard
0: yeah definitely definitely and I guess now as they get older and older becoming teenagers and becoming very rebellious I guess how does a family best prepare for that and also again, going back to that public-private conversation. So now that the child is a little bit older, do you believe it is worth the child going into a private school now, or are there still good alternatives in the public sector?
1: Yeah, I think it, again, comes down to two values. I went to, like, just personally, I went to a private Catholic school in Canada, Mm. and Mm. that that was the choice my parents made for me. But I found that the public system in my local area, they had a bigger school because they had more kids. So they had better programs when it came to oh, wow. things that we didn't have access to. You know, they had a mechanic kind of class. They had, mm. you know, psychology teacher. Like we didn't have that. We had like the basics at the time. And I remember thinking like, I wish I went to that public school. I just feel like they have more options, but maybe it is the community at the private schools that you get so again it depends on the values and this is canada right like we we're, we're mm. now in australia it might be completely different here mm. but it just depends i guess you're getting closer to university so maybe it makes more sense if you want to go private but you you know your kid best you know what they need and you as a parent might have different different thoughts on that cuz you might have had a horrible experience in the public system and you're like no way am i sending my kid there or you know it, it depends. What are your thoughts?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a very tricky question. Maybe just to share another personal story. So I got brought up in Sydney and in Sydney, the public high school system there is a little bit different compared to some of the other states. So they have What they call selective schools so you're required to sit an entrance exam when you're in your last year of primary school which is year Mm -hmm. six so then going in from year seven to twelve for the high school period in new south wales if you pass that entrance exam you're able to go into these selective schools where you're kind of grouped together with some of the other kids that you know uh, are also trying to do a little bit better and you know the idea is that overall you guys You know, help each other and and they perform pretty well as a group so I think my parents were quite keen on that idea and they thought that that was a good way to to do the high school education so that's what my parents thought but again as you mentioned it might be different from for what other parents value they might value I guess what the private schools offer in terms of all the other extracurricular activities that they do because I do know some of them do a lot of excursions and trips overseas and other things that are not offered in the mm-hmm. public sector. So, yeah. again, you're, you're, you're spot on there, Anna, I think, in terms of it really just depends on what you value and what you want to get out of the experience.
2: Yeah, that that is spot on. I think uh, thanks, uh, Anna and Sam, for sharing that. And I think uh, as it comes back down to the same points that you mentioned, Anna, it's the, the, the values, it depends upon your level of planning as well as to what is really important for you. As a family? Yeah. uh, And how do you want to really raise, you know, your children? So, you know, spot on in terms of those points. This
0: concludes part A of episode 15. Stay tuned for part B as we continue our conversation with Anna Christina. We'll be discussing how to teach money to kids, different ways of investing for our children, and our very first money memories. See you in the next episode.